right? Week four, unshakable faith. We're wrapping it up today. This is the last one. If you'd like another one, you need to make up your own sermon and preach it to yourself. So <laughs> this is it. I just want to welcome anyone watching on Facebook. We're so glad that you're with us today, however you may be, wherever you're watching. Uh, encourage you to use the chat section. Let us know that you've been watching. Help me preach the sermon today. Uh, I could use a little bit of help. Um, you know, it's beautiful outside. I got going about 10 to 6, and I got outside, and I was scraping cars and sliding off the road, thinking to myself, but i got to savor these. I don't have very many days like this left. i got to just take them all in. <laughs> This is 23 degrees on my dashboard, but glad you made it out today. Great to see a full house this morning, and uh, I know that the Lord has a, a word to really speak to us today, so let's jump into it. Uh, first, let's pray. God, we love you so much. So grateful for this word and your way. Lord, we ask that um, you teach us something today that we can use and apply. We don't want to just be hearers, but we want to be doers of your word, and so God, we just ask that any distraction or or any useless thought, anything that may be coming against us, we pray comes to naught so that we can run with what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today, in the last week of unshakable faith, we've been talking about having unshakable faith. You know, God is with us. Uh, he was with us. He's behind us. The word meta, he's with us to the end of the age, but he's behind us. He's with us. He's ahead of us. He's working. We, we're talking about all these speak up, show up, these big take the mountain ideas. You know, we've been for the last few weeks talking about, man, we live in an hour where we could get shook. You know, things are kind of crazy. And, and how do we keep this unshakable faith? But today I put this last because it all really boils down to this idea that we're going to talk about today which is a huge part of having unshakable faith, is being somebody who makes an effort to actually share our faith. Knowing that we, we, we are called to be people who share our faith with others. I love prayer and fasting, and I love the devotion to God's word, and I love Bible studies, and I love worship nights, and I, I look forward to tonight's worship night, and I hope that you guys can all come. I love all of those experiences that kind of surround church. Uh, but I can tell you this, if we never used any of those experiences to actually go out and share our faith with, faith with others, then I believe that the enemy is not intimidated by any of those things. If, if all we do, it's the old, this little light of mine, I'm going to keep it to myself. I'm going to, then if nothing ever leaves this room or nothing ever leaves our own heart and our own feels, then we're not making any difference in the world. Are you with me? Yeah. And so it's good that we know those things and do those things, but we have got to apply those things. And the way that we apply them is by sharing our faith uh, with other people. Now, Paul, we all know that uh, sharing our faith is important and, and being a witness in the community is important. And uh, we've maybe heard sermons like that, but I want to kind of be like Paul today. Many times Paul starts his writings to churches and he says, hey, I know you already know these things. It's back to the whole, but we forget. I know you already know these things, but it's good that I remind you. So today we're going to look at three things. I brought three simple ways uh, that we can uh, strategies we can use, if you will, in sharing our faith. Uh, unfortunately, the Barner Research Group has said uh, that we are evangelizing, we're sharing our faith uh, at the lowest rate we ever have in American church history. Uh, people through the times and through all the different things going on, and we're too scared, we don't want to offend somebody, we don't want to say the wrong thing, therefore we're saying nothing. 
And the frustration for me as a pastor and as many other believers would feel the same way. The hard part about it is like the world has never been more ripe to hear about hope and salvation and God's goodness and his truth. Are you with me? It's like this is our hour where, and, and especially if you're in the camp that believes like, hey, the end is coming near. Our days are getting shorter. How much more so should we be out and letting people know the good news of God? And so we're going to talk about it today. I know many of you have maybe heard it before, uh, but we need to talk about it. And here's a word we probably all got sick of hearing, and it's the word mandate. But the reality is about sharing our faith. Sharing our faith is a mandate that we got from Jesus Christ himself. Uh, You could maybe even call it a command, but we see in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, it says, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to your friends or the people who will accept it well, or no, 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 the mission, the mandate, the commission that we have from Jesus is to go everywhere and tell everyone. That's not a keep it to yourself idea. The idea that Jesus is saying like, hey, here's how I need you to live. You need to live as a person who goes everywhere and tells everyone what God has done in your life. Can I get an amen? We don't leave it to Billy Graham and we don't leave it to all of these things. We, we, we are the people. We're, look at yourself and, and you look in the mirror and you get up and you say, I'm a soul winner today. It's not just for the televangelists. It's not just for the Billy Graham's. You, the commission on your life is to be a soul winner, is to go out and tell people. Can I get an amen? amen? God's mindset is always for the lost. When you think about how he looks to and fro and as he looks down at his children, his heart is always for the lost one. He appreciates our worship and our night of worship as we come together and we worship and we lift him up and we honor and we praise and and we give him adoration. That blesses him. But then his mind is still on his lost children. Where's the lost ones? Where's the lost ones? And the church has done a terrible job uh, saying, eh, I think our numbers are good enough. You know, we got a pretty good church size going and we got a pretty good discipleship program. Let's just stay where we are. Imagine if I applied that to my own life. In my immediate family, I have four other people in my life. I have my wife and I have three kids. Now imagine if we were leaving somewhere and I got in the car and I looked around at everybody and we were missing one. And I was like, that's ah, 75% is fine, let's go. <laughs> if we left the mall or we left the thing and we were missing one, you would be going crazy until you found the one. How many of you agree? Maybe not every day, some days maybe not. <laughs> But she would be in a frantic because we're, that's the heart of heaven. It's, hey, there's more we still have to find. There's more we got to seek and save and reach and love and bring into the kingdom. That's why the scripture says, not, not, not only in a parable did Jesus put it in, but he made sure that parable made it into two different books. And this parable is, hey, I will leave the 99 that are found for the one. Yeah. Because I love the lost, and my mission is always to seek and save that which is lost. And in church, we play this game of like, well, but look how many we found. But we found a lot. Look, at we we got a pretty good number of found. This is good enough. And that actually gets on your nerves when you're actually looking for something that's lost. You ever be looking for something? Like, no, where's my thing? And somebody brings you something. Is it this? No, it's not that. That's found. I already know about that. Trying to find the lost thing. And I just wonder if that's heaven. You know, know, churches, we create all these things. Look at all these found things we have. He's like, yes, I know, but the lost. Are you with me today? And so it's our mandate. It's our mission. And that's an honor. That's not a chore. We have this honor to be these people who can walk, as the scripture reads in a minute here. We are the ambassadors of Christ. 
This is the honor that we get to walk with is, is going after the lost. The reality is if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, then you've been selected to the search committee. You get to go help find the one. You get to live on mission going and finding the one. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 20 says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. What an honor that he chose us as the body of Christ to be a part of the redemptive plan for human mankind. We get to come and we get to go walk and, and dwell and be here on this earth as his ambassadors. Uh, the word ambassador here means representative or promoter of. The word representative here means this. Uh, it means to represent you get up and you start your day and you get to realize not only are you a soul winner, but you get to live your day as somebody who's representing Christ to this world. What a huge honor that we have. This isn't like a little church task. We get to live as people who get to represent Christ. I love that it says that we're the promoter of. We're the promoter of God. We're the promoter of God's goodness. Uh, Jess and I watched a movie preview yesterday. Uh, it's like a two minute movie preview or whatever. And, um, is that bothering anybody else like it bothers me, this communion cup up here? You, you, you slob worship people. I'm telling you, if we could just... Oh, phew. All right, the Lord has come back. Do you feel him come back? I almost sat on my communion when I came back. And I was like, as a pastor, that's probably a fireable offense, I think, if you... So we watched this movie preview, and a, mo a movie preview is a promotion of, right? It's a promotion of the movie. It's a promotion of the story. And I get done watching this whole thing, and it's two minutes long. We get done watching this movie, and I think to myself, I have no idea what that movie's about. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched two minutes of that thing. I have no clue what that whole thing's even about. And I just wonder if the world is looking at the church who's supposed to be in promotion of God's goodness and God's love and God's grace and God's, are you with me? And they're saying, I don't even know what these Christians are trying to promote. Do they love me? Do they hate me? Do they, do they want to be here or do they want to be resurrected? And I'm like, well, that changes daily. Sometimes I want to be here. <laughs> but I just wonder if we're doing a bad job as ambassadors, as promoters of, because we're not focused on what the mission is. Can I get an amen? We're after the lost. We're after the lost. Ephesians 3, it's kind of a bigger uh, chapter. And so I just kind of brought a snippet of it. But it says that the wisdom of God should be made known through his church. The wisdom of God, the ways of God, the, the structure of how God loves us and leads us has been made known, is made known through his church. It's through people. It's how we share our faith. It's how we live on example. Now, many of us know that the church has got this wrong. Like many times in the past, we've really messed this up, sharing our faith or witnessing or, or telling of the good news. We've, we've done this a bunch of really weird ways. Uh, I'm a church kid. I grew up in church. Uh, I just turned 39. I've been in church mostly my whole life. And uh, back in the late 80s and er, in 90s, uh, witnessing and, and telling your faith was very harsh. It was very extreme. You might have somebody hand out a track, and when you looked at the track, it's basically telling you how you're going to hell. You've like read something like that, right? Or maybe you've gone to like a stadium event, and somebody was standing on a box, and they had like a bullhorn, and they're screaming about how you're going to hell, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and that's not true, you know, unless, of course, you're at a Buckeyes game, Ohio State, then you would be, that would be accurate if you're a, a, a Buckeye. But yeah, so... <laughs> But someone's screaming, don't go to that concert. You're going to go to hell. Rock and roll's the devil and all that stuff, you know. And it very intense. And, and the Turner burn message was like a big thing. And we're scaring you and all this stuff. And that was one way. But then 
After that, we kind of realized how extreme we were. And we said, oh, no, no, no. Now we've flipped all the way the other way is we don't want to be harsh. And so everything was done in love and peace and hippies. And, and so what we ended up doing was we, we compromised the truth. And so we made everything comfortable and we never called people to change and we never called them to, to growing. And so we just made everything appeasing for everybody. And then essentially what happened is everybody learned to just become complacent. Yeah. You don't got to change. You don't got to do nothing. You don't got to serve. You don't got anything. And so we flipped all the way to the other side. And God is calling us back to this middle that says, yes, there's a reality that there is a hell and eternity is real, but also God's goodness is the thing that leads us to repentance. Are you with me? There's a middle. And if you look at Jesus' life, we see that Jesus, there was times where, yes, he's so loving and so compassionate and so mercy-filled and grace-filled. But then there was also times that he would look and say, go leave your life of sin. He would call them into both. There's both and we need both. Can I get an amen? And so the church has got to figure out this way of being different while also being loving. I wrote it down like this. You can't make a difference in the world unless you're different. We got to learn to be okay being a little bit different. We got to learn to be having a different story and a different part of our life. And this is what the scripture says, though, about how to lead that in an example. Colossians 4, 5 says this. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders I love that it didn't say, be loud in the way that you act toward an unbeliever. It didn't say, be extreme. It didn't actually even say that you had to be right about it. Like, you got to make sure you be right. It said, in the way that you act toward outsiders, it said, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. There's instructions that we're getting from scripture because as a believer, we should be having conversations with outsiders. Amen. Amen. We've also created these circles where it's like Christian everything. Oh, only Christian radio, only Christian everything, Christian, because I don't want to be caught around an outsider. You know what I'm talking about? Now this thing is saying, no, you, we got to connect. You got to share your faith. People need to see our, our light. Amen. Amen. Then it says this, 1 Peter 3.15, and then I'm going to give you your three points. 1 Peter 3.15, it says this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have. Two things I want to say about this. One, some people say, well, I'm not an evangelist. I, I, I'm just not somebody who, who can share my faith. No, th- this is saying we're all evangelists. We all have to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. And that's a honor. Let me go back to that part of that's an honor. It's a privilege that we have the opportunity to speak into people's lives that are hurting. And then the second part, it says this, to everyone who asks you. Do you know that our life should be living so differently that it's causing people to come ask what's different in our life? It says that we need to give a reason for the hope that you have, which means people should be coming up to you and saying, hey, what's this hope about that you have? How do you have such peace in these times? How do you have such unshakable faith in these times? How did your marriage go from that? I know you 10 years ago, you guys were a mess. How did it get over to here? And you say, well, let me tell you about the hope that I have. We got to be prepared because people should be seeing a difference in us that they come and they ask about it. Amen. So three things real quick, three things, the best three ways that I think God has shown us how to share our faith. I do believe that there is a design that we've seen in scripture 
that we see in Jesus' life, and it's a great model for us when it comes to sharing our faith. Now, I hope that you write these down. I hope that these are things that you share with your kids and teenagers as they step into school and they're, they're sharing their faith with others. Here's three key points and strategies that we need. The first one is this, write it down. We have to connect with people. We gotta be, if you wanna share your faith, you first have to connect with people. I wrote it down like this. We have to connect before we can ever correct. Again, back in the day, all we tried to do was correct people. Correct, tell them what's wrong with them, tell them what's wrong with them, correct, correct. Bumper stickers were all these cocky, like Christian things trying to correct people. We have got to connect with people before we can ever correct people. Uh, we've said it this way many times before. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I believe that was Jesus' way. He came and sat with people and said, look, this is how much I care. And I know that you're going through this. And I know you've heard it said this way, but let me, let me tell you it this way. And he was making connection with them. Yeah. Uh, I thought about this. You can win the argument and still lose. I see this on social media all the time, whether it's in pastors groups or with just other things that I see happening. I'll be following the way that people are interacting with other people, maybe in a debate or a conversation. And I'm sitting there going like, well, you're right. Like you're right. You're winning the argument. You're right. But you're losing by a mile because of the way that you're saying it. You know what I'm talking about? It's because there's no connection. And so we have to consider, hey, in this conversation that I'm having with somebody, is this connecting us or is this dividing us? Yeah. And if it's dividing you, then you need to say, Lord, how can I connect with this person in a way that I can bring the, bring the truth in love? Yeah. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And social media is probably not the place to do that. <laughs> we as a church have designed our church to be a church that connects. We want people to know how much we care about them before they ever know how much we know. That's why as a church, we're a part of Kids Hope and we've connected with our schools because we're trying to get our community to see, hey, look, we care about you. Yeah. We care about these schools and, and, and that's a ministry hand to hand. Our partnership in our food bank is our way that we say, hey, before we're ever going to try to correct or bring any kind of truth, we want to connect in your life. Love for a child camp and hope packages and grant me hope and positive options. Positive options, another ministry where we can say to these moms with unplanned pregnancies, we can say, hey, you know what? We care. We're here because we care way before we want to try to correct anything or adjust anything or share anything. We just want you to know that we care about you. Yeah. Am I making sense today? Yeah. So great evangelism and great sharing your faith is just letting people know, guess what? First of all, I care about you. I'm somebody who cares about you. Uh, Jesus was on mission. And if you asked him his mission statement, Jesus is walking around and you say, hey, Jesus, what's your mission? T tell, me, tell me what you're about while you're here. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 would probably be his answer. It says, for the son of man came to seek and to save that what, which was lost. It's redemption. Yeah. The part of it all is redemption. Now we're imitators of Christ. And so because you're striving to be Christ-like, what is your mission? Your mission is to seek and save what is lost. Yeah. Whatever needs restoration in our community is our call to action. Are you with me today? Yeah. I want to back up in this story. This is Luke chapter 19, verse 10. But there's actually a really great story and a really great example uh, of how Jesus shared faith and changed somebody's life. Uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. The thing with Zacchaeus, he's this tax collector and nobody liked him. 
um, I'm trying to give a parable or like an example for you to kind of understand how they wouldn't like him. Um, he was a tax collector. He overtaxed people. He was sleazy. He was crooked. You couldn't trust him. Uh, he overtaxed for his own advantages. I can't think of an example. But anyway, people didn't like him. People didn't like his stance in the community. And, uh, and so here's the story of this guy, Zacchaeus. He's got no good reputation. So many people don't like. And the scripture says in verse 3, he, being Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. It didn't say that he wanted to know what Jesus knew. He said he wanted to see who he was. He wanted to connect before he ever wanted to know what Jesus knew. Who's this guy? I'm interested. It goes back to what I was saying about, hey, this hope in God that you have, I want to know about that. And I think it's the same thing in our life. People want to see who we are before they see what we know. So we got to carry our lives in a way that we're, we're, we're carrying that light. Then it says this. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. He was a wee little man. And uh, that's not offensive. That's the song. You guys know what I'm talking about. (laughs) It said, so he ran ahead and he climbed up on a sycamore tree for the... Right. It's good. Some of you are saved. The others, you need to (laughs) figure it out. So he climbs up in this tree. He's this hated guy, and he climbs up in this tree, and Jesus is there. The religious leaders are there who, of course, judge everything. The Pharisees are there with their scorecards. They're getting ready to tell everybody the truth about something, right? Because that's what that religious crowd loves to do is be right. And so they're all sitting around there, and it says that he ran and climbed up in this tree. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. You sinner, you scum of the earth, you worst person ever. Get down from there. We hate you. I don't know. He says, Zacchaeus, come down from there immediately. I must stay at your house today. Wow. What's he saying? Hey, you up there, I want to connect with you. I want to make a connection with you. I know everybody's calling you a sinner, and I know you got this reputation, but I'm first going to start with this connection with you says that he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Verse seven, it says, all the people saw this and began to mutter. The people being the religious people, the scorekeepers, the ones who always have to get it right. See, religious people, they don't like relationship. Hear me. If we're going to make a dent in the end times, if we're going to make a difference in in all of this chaos that's going on, we have to be a connection first church. This world is craving authenticity. And if God is pruning his church for growth, it's going to come in the way of fake guys out, fraud guys out. We're taking all of these game players out so that the genuine connection people can grow and thrive and do it authentically. Are you with me? So the religious crowd, they're annoying. They're the worst, right? Because they're scorecard keepers. They're the, no, you have to do it this way. And this is the law. And this is the rule. And this is the thing. So they start muttering. They're muttering about it. They're upset because Jesus is about to go make a connection. And they don't like connection. They like rules. I'm so glad we don't have mutterers anymore in the body of Christ, right? (laughs) Thank God mutterers are gone. Oh, wait a second. There's still some mutterers muttering about the body of Christ, aren't they? And it's even worse in the hour that we live in now because mutterers like to hide behind podcasts. 
and documentaries and social media. It's these keyboard Christian crusaders that think they're making a difference for the kingdom when all they're really doing is acting out of that religious spirit. I don't like the rules. They're not keeping the rules. They're not doing it the right way. The church shouldn't do it that way. The church shouldn't do it this way. The church, and, and so they're, they're continuing to bash and bash and bash. Listen, I know the body of Christ in America is really hurting. And I know that's like week after week, we see a fall of a leader or a Christian. And let me just talk to you, tell you the truth. I know, and I see these falls like you see the falls, and they break my heart like they break your heart. But what the enemy would love to do is come to, come to get you in, come in, talk to you, and say, see, you're wasting your time in church. It's all a sham. It's all a fraud. Let me, let me just say a few more things. It's not in my notes. This is over time. <laughs> I know the church is hurting in America, okay? And, and, and I know that we're seeing some things. But if we're all, <laughs> if, we're, if we're believing because I love the church. I gave my life to the church. I still do. If, 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 if we're believing that, that maybe the end is near and, and God's coming back for a pure and spotless bride, then how many know that there's some pruning and some cleanup that needs yeah. to happen in the church? Yeah. And so we're seeing it and it's hard to watch. But let me tell you this. Anybody can point out what's wrong. But it's a whole nother kind of person who rolls up their sleeve and gets to work to fix it. So you can sit behind the internet and you can mutter and mutter and throw stones and bash. But I just want to remind you what you're actually throwing stones at is the bride of Christ that God is coming back for. And we need to stop taking shots and getting on high horses about the body of Christ. Am I telling the truth today? The mutterers and the mutterers and the mutterers, you're not making a difference. You're keeping religious laws and you're upset. And what you're really upset about is that you don't want to make connections. You just want to keep rules and you don't want to go deep with people and get in their pain and be vulnerable. And so you're getting, anyway. I feel like there's more in there, but we'll see if it comes back. So the mutterers, they're they're all upset. And they said this, that he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Oh, I just, I just love Jesus. Oh, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner. How could he go be with those who he came to seek and save? How dare a church be so focused on making connection and reaching people? What we need to be doing is studying the word deeper. He's gone to be with the lost. I hope it's our reputation that we've gone to be with the lost. And I love God's word and I love the truth. And we've got to make sure our our doctrine is appropriate. All of that stuff is so important, but not at the sake of missing out on reaching the lost. Can I get an amen? And here's such a great story. So that's verse seven. All of a sudden we flip over to verse eight, but lunch is over. We don't know in the middle. And so lunch is done. And this is what happens in verse eight. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's a pretty good lunch. I don't know what they served. I don't know what Jesus did in there, but he got to work quickly. But he made a connection. Jesus says in verse 9, today salvation has come to this house. What he's saying is in this time, Zacchaeus understood what it means to follow the Lord. He had a revelation through this connection of what it is to follow the Lord. Salvation has come to your home. And that's where verse 10, it says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That's where we got that in the verse 10. 
Here's what I would say is this. Listen, listen, listen to anything I say. Because the more that we're following God, the more that we're trying to press into this thing, your mutterers are going to say, oh, really? You're a church person now? Oh, my gosh. You're using your time to serve at church? Oh, my gosh. I can't. Oh, really? You're going to start a ministry? You're going to. Oh, really? God's calling. And the mutterers are going to come and they're going to start trying to get you to stop doing what God's assigned you to do. Oh, really? Oh, oh. and they're going to mutter and they're going to mutter. Think about it. If Jesus had listened to the murderers, think about how much it would have cost the community. Zacchaeus gave what? Back into the community and repayment. Think of the loss that would have happened if the murderers would have won. I'm here to tell you, if you listen to your murderers, the community will suffer. Are you with me today? I get tired of doing this stuff. And following God. And that's why the scripture said, you got to put your hand to the plow and not look back. You have to keep going because in time you'll receive the harvest. But in time you get tired. And sometimes the Lord just has to remind me of what you're doing. Yeah. Hey, Josh, what are you doing? What does your Monday look like? Well, but the mutterers and they had this and they got you know, people out there and podcasts and everybody's tearing apart the church. Maybe, maybe I should go back to sprinkling donuts. That's what I did before ministry. <laughs> I was a cake decorator and a donut styler. That's not a thing, but I just made it a thing. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, oh, what should I do? Uh, all this stuff going on. Lord's like, while those mutterers sit behind social media and mutter on, they're not taking a step to help anybody. They're just muttering about you. Well, they're making podcasts about the fall of the church and the rise and the fall of this and a documentary about this. And I know only half the room probably even know what I'm talking about, but... But the church world, he said, what are you doing tomorrow? Well, look at my Monday. Well, I'm a pastor, so I only work on Sundays, so I got nothing Monday. <laughs> What's your Monday, Josh? What's your Monday? Listen to, you, you listen to all these mutters. You listen to all the mutters talking about. What's your Monday? Well, Monday, first thing in the morning, we got the positive options ministry coming here because we're planning a pastor's get together because we want to make sure positive options gets inside of every church in our community because we want to help every single young woman who has an unplanned pregnancy make a godly decision over her life. So that's first thing in the morning. And then by 11 o'clock, we got, we got somebody coming from the east side because they feel the call of God to start a church on their life. So I'm going to help plant a church at 11 o'clock. And the mutterers are going to keep muttering, and I'm going to just keep my hand to the plow, just as Zacchaeus, just as Jesus didn't listen to the mutterers. And, and what are you going to do in the afternoon? Well, then we're going to go visit a friend who got diagnosed with cancer, and we're going to go over there and pray healing, lay hands on the sick like Jesus commanded us to. All while the mutterers do what? Mutter. They're not making a dent. They got their theology perfect, and they can give you 7 million different studies that you should be doing, but they're not making a dent. Don't fall for the religious spirit of muttering and don't listen to them. Okay. (laughs) Thank you guys. I feel better and I don't have to pay a counselor for that. So appreciate (laughs) it. (laughs) So point number two, point number two is, and I'll go quickly. Uh, Point number two is we got to share our story with people. This is how we share our faith is we share our story. There's no scripture that says, all right, here's how you're going to seek and save the lost. You need to apply this scripture that evaluates them to tell them how big of a sinner they are. 
God doesn't deal like in scorecards. That's not how he uses us. What he does is he uses us to share our story and be witnesses of the goodness of God in our life. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16 says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And then it glorifies our father in heaven. They see the way that we live. They see the way that God is moving in our life. Acts chapter one, verse eight says this, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Everywhere we go, we're going to be telling people. And the word witnesses works like this. It's a courtroom phrase, as you know. And thank God that the Lord used the word witness. He didn't call us to be a judge. He hasn't called you to be a prosecutor. He hasn't called you to be a defender, a defendant of anything. He called you to be a witness. And here's how witness goes. Many of you have said, oh, I'll never be that because I witnessed somebody else being that. I'm never going to be that because I witnessed this way or that kind of boss or this kind of parent. I'll never be that because I witnessed it. This is that term that God wants us to walk in. Hey, I want to come to know the goodness of God because I witnessed it on your life and my life. I heard your story. I saw the breakthrough on your finances. I, I saw how you, how you, uh, God delivered you from anger and unforgiveness. I've witnessed this in your life amen. and it's now drawn me to the father. Can I get an amen? Amen. I, uh, I thought about it like this. I used to tell our teenagers in youth group, like young people can argue the Bible. I would say they can argue the Bible with you all the time, but what they can't argue is what God has done in your life. Yeah. They can't argue your story. Yeah. So tell them your story. That's how you share your faith. You can say, man, I, I used to be here, but because of God's goodness, I'm now here. Yeah. And, and they can't argue what the Lord has done in your life. Amen. Yeah. I'll close with this. If someone can come play. The third point is this. You just have to invite people to experience God. You're not inviting somebody to understand your perfect theology. And and theology is important. Please don't walk away with me saying that it's not. But when you go to witness with somebody, it's not like you have to bust out the concordance and give everybody the thing. You just have to invite somebody into an opportunity to experience God whether it be through you listening to them or bringing them to church or praying for them or paying for a meal for them, whatever it is, you got to give people the opportunity to experience God. Paul, this is my last verse I'll read. Paul, who we know, is the greatest of all time. The Apostle Paul, everybody says, man, Paul, and we have so much of his writings and so much of his leading. And you got to remember, Paul was killing Christians. Not just like every once in a while when he lost his cool, he killed a couple. It was what he did killed Christians. And God changes his life dramatically and turns them around. And of course, again, right now, when everybody talks about the apostle Paul, he's the greatest of all time, but I love his honesty in the message. This is the message version of what he writes in first Corinthians two, verse one. He says, you'll remember friends that when I first came to you to let you in on God's master stroke, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches and the latest philosophy I deliberately kept it plain and simple. First Jesus and who he is, then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. I was unsure of how to go about this. I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death, if you want the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else, but the message came through anyway. 
God's spirit and God's power did it, which made it clear that your life of faith is a response to God's power, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or anyone else. Paul's saying he felt the same way we felt when it came to sharing our faith. And I was so scared. And I wasn't sure how it was going to turn out. And I didn't put anything fancy together. I just told him about Jesus. And then because I invited him to experience Jesus, God's power showed up and did a work. And now no one can argue that. Does that make sense? And so that's our mission. It's just we just set up opportunities for people to experience God. And we let God's power do the work in their heart. Amen. Let me pray for you. I know we're a little late on time, but let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. And as we wrap up the series and we wrap up even this conversation today, God, I just pray that you give us such boldness to proclaim your goodness. God, I pray that our stories get told. Like Paul, when we feel inadequate, when we feel scared to death, when we feel like there's nothing we can put together, Lord, help us keep it simple about you and your work. God, I pray that when the mutterers come and they try to speak against what we're following you into, God, I pray that we just keep our eyes set on you. We stay focused on the cross. We stay focused on the purpose. God, I thank you that your mission, the Great Commission, is to go and preach your good news to everyone all over the world. We say thank you that you empower us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.